Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Dele Okwabi, and I'll be sharing with you uh, this morning. Um, we have like from 10.15 to 11.15, which is really not a lot of time. Um, so uh, during my talk, I will go fast, but then I want to leave a lot of extra time for Q&A, okay? And so uh, as we're waiting for 10.15 for our official start time, I would love to know just from some of the folks in here, like, what are you interested in getting out of this session? I'll take this off so you, maybe you can hear me a little bit better. But what are you interested in getting out of this session? Um, the title of this session is uh, Mature Teams and an Apostolic Type Leadership Model for the 21st Century Church. And so as I'm hearing some of the things that you're interested in during my talk, I can kind of field myself towards those things. And so with the 10 minutes prior to start, just throw your hand up and just go for it. So this is going to be a communal thing, right? So, all right. That is helpful. That's good. I think I can get there. All right. Anybody else? I'll, I'll answer that quickly. Really, it wasn't through. It wasn't through. Uh, it wasn't through the home. It wasn't. It wasn't through doing churches in your home. That that's definitely not the answer. <laughs> Anybody else? What What are you interested? We're going to spend the next eight minutes. What are some of the questions or? Thoughts that you have on your mind? Why did you come to the session? What are you interested in gleaning? This will help me know how to direct some of the stuff I'm talking about throughout this session. Anybody else? A slippery? Yeah, go for it. This guy back here. Anybody else? I'm assuming that this is sort of built on what Hirsch wrote. And uh, I teach that, but I don't, I haven't seen very many examples of it. I want to know how it works in real life. <laughs> I'm just going to do real life. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anybody else? What do you want to get out? Okay. Got it. Got it. And while we're on that topic, whenever we use the language apostolic, we do not mean big-headed people who think they can rewrite doctrine and tell everybody what to do and everybody has to follow them. That's the most immature level of apostolic leadership. The most mature level of apostolic leadership is actually mothering and fathering. So just to clarify this as we're getting some terms out. Any other thoughts? That is very, very good. Um, so how do you define this? Good. Any other thoughts? What are you hoping to get out of this session? 
why did you, what's your interest? Um, anybody else, just slip your hand. Okay, sir. In this context, define team. Ooh, that's good. So I did not prepare for any of this stuff. So you guys are just, so it's like, I'm glad I asked, because you just kind of like, I'm like, I don't even need this presentation, because <laughs> like, y'all would have sat here for an hour and got nothing. That was terrible. <laughs> so define, like, how are you defining, like, teams, right? Okay. Anybody else? This is helpful, because this is helping, like, like 80% of my talk has already shifted. Anybody else? What are you hoping to get out this session? Did you say so? Okay. What was the main thrust of your presentation? So my main thrust was the why, why this is needed in the 21st century church, and then the principles for how to make it work once you do it. Hirsch writes about, he's, way, he's here, and what... But that is, that is, I like that part, though, part about how to make it work. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. So, like, my main thought was, like, the why and then how to make it work in your everyday practical. I wanted to give principles that we've probably been using these for three to five years, and I'm working on a book on it, still working on it, and that book is to help people figure out how to do it in teams. Um, it's like if you ever play football and you hear a quarterback, like, double red, Roger, X, six, three, you know, it's like, what kind of plays is that? When you start operating in these teams, the traditional leadership style model, you need a whole new playbook. And so these principles that gives you these models and how to do it. All right, are we good? Okay, so I'm gonna start a little bit earlier and I'd like to start with prayer and then we'll, we'll, we'll get started. So will you pray with me? So this title session, I'm supposed to do this for this recording. My name is Dale Okwabi and this session is called Mature Teams an apostolic type leadership model for the 21st century church. So let's pray. Father, we, we thank you so much for, for our network. Father God, we thank you so much for Pastor Wooten and the whole exec, uh, the Presbytery, our leaders, Ohio for Jesus plan, this vision that you've given them. Lord, I thank you for everybody in this room. And Father, I ask in the mighty name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would have his way in this room, Lord. Um, leaders that are asking or thirsting for answers, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to them. Um, ministries that need to be birthed, change that needs to happen. Holy Father, we just call upon your name. You said your kingdom will be built. Um, the gates of hell can't even withstand it. Someone talked about exponential movement and exponential growth in the early church. Um, Lord, we want to see that. Your word says the glory in the latter days shall be greater. But how do we do that? So, Father, we all come humbly um, to this space this morning and just be with us. Amen. Uh, so my journey, I'll tell you my story. So my journey on this topic, can someone I'll close this door? Can you close that door for me? Um, so I start with my story and my journey. So my journey and my story start was I didn't grow up in church. I grew up a total heathen, right? Got saved at a Pentecostal church. If it wasn't for a Pentecostal church, I would not have come to Jesus. Uh, I walked in there and I felt the spirit of God and I bumped my neighbor and says, do you feel that? And they said, feel what? And I said that. It was so evident to me 
I got saved, dropped out of Bible college, went straight into ministry. And all I knew in that moment was shepherd. And so when I went into ministry, I'd never fit in. I don't hug babies. I don't, you know, I'm just, I'm, I shepherd differently. Never fit in. And I was always trying to be put in this particular box. And I just, something in me kept saying, something isn't right with this. Each time I spoke out of who I was and who God called me to be, it sounded like, are you angry? Are you frustrated? No, I'm not any of that. I thought differently. I, I, I just saw everything completely differently. And about three years ago, uh, maybe three and a half, I was going to actually quit ministry because my, my result was I don't fit in here. The way this thing functions, it doesn't fit for me. I would rather just go in a business world. And so from there, I began to dream and the Lord began to convict me. The second thing is I saw power hungry leaders in the church. I saw leaders who were absolutely only cared about their own fiefdoms. They only cared about building their own brand. They did not care about mentoring. They did not care about discipleship. I saw more divorces. I saw more people need deliverance. I saw more unhealth in the church than I saw anywhere else. And I'm supposed to entrust my spiritual soul to you and you wouldn't even care for me and my family? Serve, 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 serve. And it just, everything about it felt wrong. I was so angry and so frustrated. And the Lord convicted me. And he says, don't you ever say there's something wrong with my church again. My church needs to mature. But don't ever say there's something wrong with my bride. And from there, a holy conviction kicked in. And the Lord says, you can't leave. I've called you to this. I never in my life wanted to plant a church, never. I just wanted to serve and just help somebody else build the church. Never wanted to plant a church. But the Lord says, I, I, I want you to start speaking to my church and just, just do what I called you to do. And so that's how we, we, we begin to, to get through this, this model. And my, the story matters really a whole lot for me. Um, and then the Lord began to encourage me, those who are prophetic in the church, right? The Lord began to encourage me to help them get healing. Most prophetic people, they're untrained. They don't know how to use their spiritual gift. There's no training in the church for them, and they're just trying to communicate what they see in the body of Christ. The prophetic person, if you youth pastor, you have an 18-wheeler van, right? And you're driving, and you can't see, and you tell somebody, could you hop out? So that I can see, and the person is like, you got this much room. Come on, come on, come on. And you're like, I can't see. And you're like edging like the van slowly. The prophetic person is the person who can see and sense and discern the times. Come on. And they can see so clearly, you have this much room. And they're like, come on, come on. And you're like, I can't, I can't. But they can see it. So you have the apostolic, those builders, those energy folks in the church that can see structures, they can see systems, but they don't know how to put it. You have the prophetic, you have the eyes who can see. And remember, we're not preaching anything new. Why is that? Jesus is the head of the church. So if the head was a prophet, apostle, shepherd, teacher, evangelist, how could the body be omitting of those giftings? The math doesn't add up. John Wesley, you see all these prophetic leaders in the early church. They built systems, they built schools, they built all these things. And so when we have in the 21st century church, you have untrained prophets who are not connected to the local body. You have apostolic leaders who go start parachurch organizations because their giftings can't fit. And then you have evangelists who go just traveling around the world getting people saved. 
When Ephesians 4 says, I have placed all five of the gifts in my church for the maturing of the church, not for the apostle to go to the business world and remain there alone, disconnect for the church, not for the evangelist to start a traveling ministry because they don't know what to do with that gift in the house, and not for the prophetic people to go just start giving words to people. The highest level of prophetic ministry is to not just give words. That's like level three. The highest level is to uproot, tear down, and then establish a work. And so for me, when I begin to look at the church, I remember sitting in, in, and just being actually bored. You want to talk about why some people, men and women, aren't in the church? <laughs> bored? I begin to realize we're not using the blueprint that the Lord gave us. Then I begin to realize we have to actually redefine what we think is the kingdom of God. The divide between the secular and the sacred. God did not see that divide. And so with that, I realized that, oh man, I don't know what the kingdom of God really is. For me, when I see the kingdom of God, it, the, the word that, that strikes me is, uh, forget all my crazy notes, but like... Meet the founder. This picture of people like just dropping some dude into the building because they want to meet the founder so bad. Wherever Jesus went, he created wonder. He didn't need a physical building. People followed him. It says that they just flung to him everywhere. He created a sense of wonder. Is the church creating a sense of wonder in the 21st century church? Are people dropping people through roofs to come see what we have? If you grab the book of Matthew and you highlight every single time Jesus says the kingdom of God, Jesus' gospel was the gospel of the kingdom of God. That is not the gospel that the 21st century church has been preaching. The sine qua non of the gospel is the kingdom of God. Sine qua non is a French word meaning without which not. So chocolate chip cookie. If you don't have chocolate chips, you don't have a... If you take the gospel of the kingdom outside of what Jesus taught, you don't have a message. And so if you take a box of puzzle pieces where you play puzzles with your kids and you dump those box of puzzle pieces on the ground and then you take the cover of the box and you set it against your candle or something and you guys are looking at the picture, putting the puzzles together. If you got the wrong picture, you're putting together the wrong puzzle. The picture we've put up here that we're looking at was the cross. That is part of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so when we have the cross there, we forget about justice, biblical justice. The message is only salvation, heaven and hell, heaven and hell. So with that, as I begin to think about the founder, as I begin to think about, you know, what the kingdom of God really, really, really is, I begin to think through, like, it starts with wonder, a feeling of admiration where people meet the founder. Um, and then what does this look like in the body of Christ? It looks like, a, let me switch this presentation to go to, uh, let's see, where's the play button here? to get it out of this view. Yeah, I think it's disconnected from the internet. Man, time is running out. Well, I'll just go with this. Okay, so it looks like an iPhone, if you think about an iPhone there. 
And then when Steve Jobs created iPhone in 2007, um, he basically, he created uh, Steve Wozniak reimagined technology uh, as a powerful yet minimalist machine and you gave you experiences, right? Physical needs, right? Like the thing tells you when to breathe, for God's sakes, right? Your, your Apple Watch, your social needs, it tells you like, hey, it's time to like connect with friends or whatever, but you have all these things that this one iOS system created and it created new experiences for people and then, you know, it comes with a camera, it comes with all these different things. Are we, are we together? All right, cool. So let's go to the next slide. So this kind of gives us a framework. So Jesus, the founder of movement, the apostolic leader, he says the fullness of God in human form who came to us in a vulnerable and left us in majesty, his incarnation with the world is that he lived a new covenant and he began a societal movement. Societal movement in community, in a neighborhood. They experienced wonder with him through physical, Social, he fed, he, he fed people, emotional needs, the woman at the well, mental needs, and spiritual needs. He hit all these needs. He was an apostle, evangelist. This is the medium, right? Your apps, how you do things. This is the medium that you, you do these things. So then if this is the model that Jesus had, uh, how do we start with wonder in our churches? What I submit to you is that we have to change our operating systems. It's not just let me just go start this new thing. Steve Jobs began by creating a whole new platform. And so we, based on the founder's intent, we first have to reimagine a 21st century church that the founder intended it to hit society and be a movement in society. That thinking has to change. And so, so much of our thinking, uh, if you go to Harley-Davidson, um, the people who build Harley-Davidson's, um, if you take the blueprints away from them, they can still rebuild Harley-Davidson's because the blueprint's in their mind. We have to change the operating system of how we do church, and we have to think, based on the founder's intent, what app do we have for governmental needs in your local church? Because it says that the people will rise to the light of the kingdom of God, that those who sit in darkness, Isaiah. The keys of the kingdom of God is the knowledge that we have for governments. We have knowledge for peace. We have knowledge for all these things. But no one will come to hear our knowledge if the light of it is not being lived out in our neighborhoods. So, for example, when you have things like, um, if, if I just take justice for something, the church is one of the most segregated places in, the, in America. Sunday morning is still the most segregated hour in America to this day. We had a whole movement in our country called Black Lives Matter because the church wasn't saying Black Lives Matter. So when the church doesn't give light to injustice, secularly, they'll take it and they'll create a movement on it. Then the church will get mad because we don't like how they did it. We have a question and, and, and gender dysphoria and sexual identity. The church stays quiet and doesn't speak God's light and that truth into it. He created man and woman. Then they go and they try to figure it out themselves. And then we don't like how they figure it out. So the point of the church is this one bracket, this is only one spiritual need in planning churches. For the last 80 years, 
You can plant 35 churches, but you're only meeting one need of community. So you have to create a whole new operating system where businessmen and women can say, you know what, we're going to create businesses. <laughs> and this is how a discipleship making movement. So now the church, your main primary role as a church is to equip people now. To equip people, they say, no, you start that business. And then you get money to fuel this. No, you go start that new daycare. You see what I'm saying? And so the reason why you need all five people, you can't run that system with just shepherds and teachers. This system doesn't work with shepherds and teachers, nor does it work with just apostles and prophets, nor does it work with just evangelists. You need all of them to shift society. So how does this work in a local church? In a local church, the, the idea is, um, serving at guest experience and, and serving at different things like that, that's, that, that's good. But what I want to submit to you is that, um, you know, what do you call a can opener that can't open cans? Wow. <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so, so Jesus, so Jesus, Jesus says, um, uh, as the father, how do you define um, team and, and send? As the father has sent me, so I, that right there gives you the purpose of the church. There's no such thing as an unsent Christian. Amen. It, it, fundamentally, it doesn't, it doesn't exist fundamentally. And so the reality of this becomes um, now when we have that clear, when people come to your churches, you're running a different operating systems. Now there's a ministry that's here for government. Who's going to be a lawyer? Who's going to be an attorney? Let's, have, let's help victims who have been sexually abused and they suffer from trauma. And that's your area that you're going to start some kind of consultation or you're going to start some kind of business that does that. And then that's your ascending. That's your mission. And then we equip you that, that there with your training from your church, you start a church in your practice. That's missional. So I'm, a, um, I'm in communications, and I'm a brand marketing manager. So now I'm learning branding. I'm learning marketing. I'm learning all that. But I'm learning it to be, on, to be sent based on my mission. So now the purpose of the church is to equip me to be sent rather than equip me just to stay in this one little box. And we plant like, you ever wonder, if I'm supposed to reach my zip code for Jesus, the fundamental plan to reach my zip code for Jesus to keep staying in this bracket and create 20 churches in this bracket, the plan doesn't work. Because you're expecting everybody to come in this building to be reached. Amen. Fundamentally doesn't work. So we have to start thinking. We don't start from the bottom and say, let me just do this cool idea. Let me just do this cool idea. Mm -mm. We have to get the whole operating system changed. We have to do assessments to find out all these different gifted leaders in our church and begin to bring them together and prayerfully, with humility, discerning, will we just start? We're gifted and maybe just arts and entertainment and our church is going to, but we know this is the roadmap. So now everybody has a place in church. Are we, are we together? So, so this is like the why you need all five people.
you can create a 3,000 member church with just a good gift of a teacher. Good expository preacher, church will get to 5,000 people. Jesus is not interested in 5,000 people coming to church. It's good. What he's interested is, is in us shifting culture. And you can only shift culture when you're in government, education, businesses, and your church is designed to operate in that way. All right, let me go now to some, like, um, principles. So once you start putting all these people together, so we've been working on this for about five years, and we've been testing this, coaching people in it. Once you start putting all these teams together, there's, like, 12 principles that they need to work because it's a different operating system. The first one is, can I trust you? It's the first principle when you put all these really dynamic, gifted people together. Can I trust you? And trust happens when you realize, what church are you at? Radiant Life Church. Radiant Life Church. So opposite leaders get together at Radiant Life Church. Whoever that senior leader is, we all meet with that senior leader, and we all understand what that senior leader's mandate is. For example, here, that's Pastor John Wooten. We would say, Pastor John, what's, what's the vision God has given you to the network? That's his mandate. He makes it clear. Then we would, you know, like if you're in the back of the church, we would share like, hey, I'm uniquely gifted in this way. And everybody submits to that mandate. So I don't care how gifted you are. I don't care how anointed you are. There's authority in the kingdom of God. And there's submission and there's humility. So now... Pastor John or the pastor at Radiant Life, they trust you to throw you the keys. We have this expression, I can let you drive if we all know we're going to San Diego. Because when I wake up in the middle of the night, we're not going to be in Texas. (laughs) And that's the biggest fear of most pastors. I can't let you drive this thing because I don't trust you. I don't know where you're going to take us. And so when you just begin with that, I can be trusted with the mandate God has given you as my leader. And I'm going to submit my gifts to work with you. Now you start, now you start moving. The second one is don't accidentally become a threat. How do you become accidentally become a threat? Pastor John, uh, you know, we say all things are possible, but I don't know about this Ohio for Jesus thing. You just became a threat. Accidentally, because the leader, once God has given that leader that download, you're serving God through that leader. And so we have to be careful with our words. We have to be careful to fuel life. Pastor John, Ohio for Jesus. We can do this thing. Where do I go? And you begin to build that rapport together. And the Bible says how wonderful it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Well, I don't know if that thing's going to work. Hey, 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 it's going to work. And that spirit with trust and unity, and we're talking about this is what Jesus said. I do what my father did. I have trust. I lay my life down because he can raise it back up again. The Trinity operated on this level. That's their blueprint. Okay, know your mandate and know your team's mandate. Jesus says, I came to serve and to give my life as a what? Ransom. And so typically in the old operating system, just come serve anywhere because we just need warm bodies. No, please just don't serve anywhere. Jesus was clear. I came to give my life as a mandate, as, as, a, um, as a ransom. And so for us, 
as equippers with these different gifts in a local church, we have to spend time with each person, go through their mental illnesses, go through their deliverances that they need to have deliverance for whatever thing they're hung up on, and we begin to disciple them, and we're trying to figure out what's your thing. Because now I can send you based on that gifting, and it's going to flourish. And then obviously we practice transparency when you put all these teams together. Um, and what I mean by transparency is respect, honor, integrity, and for the benefit of the team, practice transparency. What does that look like? Um, you know, we, I mean, Michael Jordan, it, we loved him as a basketball player, but, you know, as a baseball player, yeah, right? <laughs> and oftentimes we have people in our church on the wrong spot. And they think, I'm just serving Jesus, but you're just doing it. It's not working. Come on, you've been there. It's not your spot. We call it land safely. Let's, let's do a gift assessment. Let's get you where you, where you can thrive. And that might be actually starting a, a preschool on mission. And so you have to be transparent with these teams. And I'm going to, there's like 12, but I only want to stop at five to start taking some questions and getting into some couple of things. You will get offended, and I would like to hear. Um, <laughs> when, you, when you work with really talented, highly capable, gifted leaders, they're direct, they don't mince words, and they're gonna tell you how they feel. And if you're a leader, another principle is deal with your insecurities before they euthanize the whole team. And I say euthanize, it's a slow thing. Oh, well, I don't know how to really approach that leader because, you know, I know they don't like it when I, you know, no, I deal with those insecurities because the kingdom of God happens so fast. Where do we get this from? Jesus says, have I offended you too? Go. How many apology sessions do you have as a pastor? How many times do you, you know? And so it's, it's one of those things is you will get offended. And we practice what we call the 48 hour rule. The 48-hour rule is that you got 48 hours to lean into it. We call it lean into it. Care front, not confront. Care front. Hey, I love you during that meeting. When you said this, I felt that. Can we talk about that? That hurt my feelings. Transparency. Man, I didn't know that hurt your feelings. I'm sorry. Okay, we're good. We're gone. So for us, anything that lasts longer than 48 hours, you're disturbing our unity. We got too much work to do. That doesn't mean I don't understand psychological things. That doesn't mean, I, it just means as a leader and as a pastor, when somebody works on your team like this, you get seven to eight of these a, a week. And your kids don't have time in your family. We call it secondhand smoking. You go home to your partner and your partner gets all that stuff. So for us, this is a discipline to say, I can't let this eat me for four, more than, you got 48 hours and our whole team begins to learn, we gotta move on. And you see the people who get bitter and they let a root of bitterness grow in, you can't do anything with it. So practice transparency, you will get offended, lean into it. Um, I'm gonna pause, so that's like some principles on how to work together with it. I do wanna to get to this guy's, this question and the growth, but I wanna save that for last and for the sake of time. I know I was just like going and going and going, but I, I wanna just kinda of pause and feel some questions. There are some more principles there. Um, I, I love this one. It says you'll have to make room. 
you have to make room when you work on teams like this. You have to make a sacrifice of something tertiary to be part of a tremendous apostolic team. And, and what that means is that you can tell it's kingdom. When, whenever you give up, what you get is, is much greater. Amen. The, treasure in the, the treasure in the field, the guy sold everything, but what he got was what? Much greater. So when you have apostolic teams, you have, everybody has their vision. Everybody has the thing they want to do. But you got to ask yourself, when it's time to make that sacrifice, is what, is what I'm getting to be a part of this team? Can we do this thing better together than if I was by myself? If the answer is yes, man, give that thing up and hop on that team. Because that's how we're going to hit and build. That's how we have to build society. And there's a couple of scripture passages. There's, I mean, there's so much in-depth for either, each of these chapters. But I'm just giving you the overview. So I'm going to pause now for Q&A, and I will get to that question of exponential growth, because that's a really important question. So um, let's just like have a conversation here. Um, question. And church in your context, yep. can you just kind of give a brief overview of what that looks like and then a testimony of what it has produced? Yeah, sure. So in our context, um, what we have, we're only like a 15-month-old church plant, so that's one, right? So what we've done over the last three years of, of working on this, so these are all the different things that we've built out. So education wing, all right, we do justice. So uh, white supremacy and rooting that out the church, that's what we do. And we teach and we write on that, a multi-ethnic church. So for the last, uh, this first quarter, 125 participants in five churches across the country ran through our teaching and ran through our platform. And so churches in L.A., churches in Cleveland, churches in Texas, and they're all learning how to be multi-ethnic. So that's our wing because our thing is justice. For you, your, your thing may be uh, foster care, right? Um, communications. We help launch a communication company, a branding company, and marketing for communication. Um, I'm not sure if these are, are helpful. Uh, we meet. We do gather on Sunday mornings. We do have discipleship. We do have all those things you would expect a, a typical church to have. And, but the software is different in how we operate. Hopefully that's helpful. Any other thoughts or questions? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I know we do have like I think a father initiative that Pastor Al will be happy to share more with you about. Um, you know, I, I think that's probably one of the hardest things to find. Um, many people are searching for spiritual fathering and mothering, and it really actually just is very few. If you have one, you're blessed and you're lucky. Um, so I, I don't. Have much. Just a comment. Yeah.
While you guys are thinking about question, I want to jump into this. What is an APES team? Basically, is a group of people who decide to covenant together, men and women, to fulfill one mandate. It's a group of men and women who decide to covenant together for a specific period of time to fulfill a mandate. A group of men, men and women who decide to covenant together to fulfill a mandate. Definition of mandate is an official commissioning of the Lord to do something. And so for us, the mandate that we have is Jesus, uh, Ohio for Jesus. So when everybody puts their gifts together and says, we're, that's San Diego. Where, where you want me? The devil can't stop that. Can't stop it. So that's an APES team. Other questions or thoughts? Um, so uh, just for some clarification, so the apps that you see on the bottom yeah. of the church structure, um, you're you're really flowing in the education app, mm -hmm. right? But um, as you grow, mm -hmm. um, you're probably want to add more apps mm -hmm. where you can reach the community. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. You want to add more apps to reach the community because what, what Jesus is intended for is a manifestation of his kingdom on earth. So I have to be running the school systems. I have to create the culture for school systems. No, I have to create the culture for music. You don't get to have that. No, I have to create the culture for sexuality. You don't get to have that. And so if we only stay in this church box, and that's why we say culture eats your lunch, because we, we gave them our lunch box. I mean, that, that's... We, here, you know, so that's why you keep exp expanding those branches, and that's how the manifestation of the kingdom is fully, fully seen. And thoughts or questions? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think it's a great deal of humility, sir. It's a great deal 
of mutual submission and you, you finally realize for me to have a societal movement, my 10,000 member church can't do it. When I got that revelation that like I can't make, I can, get, I can put 50 years of my life into this little church plan. If I don't link up with other people, I don't know if I can be accountable for how I stewarded my life. But when we think the mandate is to, just to, is to plant churches, which we want to do, but remember that puzzle piece, salvation, that's the, no, the thing is the kingdom. Healthcare system, it's a crisis right now. Start some clinics. So I'm not starting the clinic because, um, I'm not starting the clinic because I think it's a cool idea. I'm starting a clinic because there's a young youth minister or youth student who wants to be a doctor, and we sow the seed in her that you're going to shift how we do health. You're going to go to medical school, and we're going to start this clinic as a church. So big differences, thoughts or questions? We still have some more time. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep, I'm, and I'm going to answer that through, and I'm going to answer this question here through this graph here. Um, so this comes from, um, many of you might have seen this before, and I'm going to use uh, abbreviations for the sake of time. This comes from Alan. Uh, communitas, not community okay and then you got I'm going to answer your question and others through this um, culture you have uh, organic systems and then you have um, apostolic environments So in studying like how the early church grew, they didn't grow because they meant men in house to houses. If you read, reread Acts 2.42, the first thing they did, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. The teaching induced fellowship. Man, you ever had dinner with someone that you guys weren't on the same value system? Fellowship was rough, right? Teaching, then fellowship, then prayer, then breaking of the bread. We try to flip it around and be like, let's just have fellowship and community without no teaching that we are all fully devoted to. That's how the Lord added to their numbers daily. And so in, in his research, what Alan discovered, this was the central piece. Jesus is Lord. And remember how I talked about a societal movement and a kingdom, right? That's what we're supposed to be doing, all these areas. And so with this, in this equation from Jesus is Lord, you get this simple worldview, you get sonship and daughtership, and you get salvation. On the lordship side of the equation, you get a kingdom, you become a citizen, and then you become an ambassador. So the nature of me doing a fresh expression is not just because it's a good idea. It's because I love cooking, I love people, and I'm an ambassador, so let's go start this fresh expression that has to do with the dinner thing. That's sustainable. 
And that's my way of being an, an ambassador. And so this missional incarnational impulse, this, all these things combined together, this is the formula for a movement. This is a formula to shift a society. So when you have missional, um, so how do we define apostolic? Really, the term is a sent one. That's what apostolic means. It just simply is a sent one. So when you have a missional incarnational impulse, this impulse, like, where are you sent? There's no such thing as an unsent Christian. There's no such thing as an unsent Christian. You got movement. Everybody's asking that question. They're praying into that, and they're growing. Then we have communitas, not community. So communitas in this exponential growth, communitas is this idea of a brotherhood or sisterhood that's developed to a, uh, through an unlikely ordeal, communitas. We do not push community. No, 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 no. That's why everybody leaves church every time they get offended. Because we teach community, not we're going to have ordeals. So communitas and liminality, just a, it comes from the term of like a, it's a, it's an anthropology term, and it happens when you get um, like, like some African villages, um, they get a bunch of kids and they take them to the woods to circumcise them, liminality in the middle of the night. Then the kids begin to work together, leaves, somebody gets water, someone gets different things, and then that's the communitas process. So the liminality is going through the ordeal together. Communitas is when, you come, when you're coming through it out, and then when they all get back to the village together, now you're a community. You don't get to be a community until you go through something together. And so this is how you get the exponential growth. And this is exodus, liminality, and communitas. The disciples, any movement that you ever see in the Bible, it was liminality and communitas. And when we don't teach that to our church members, that listen, your senior pastor has a mandate. This board has a mandate. This is what God has given this vision to do. And we're going here and we will have trouble. We will have dilemma. We will have setbacks. We will have, but you know what? We're gonna grow through it and it's gonna make us a community. So that's how you get the movement. Then you have organic systems, which pretty much means that your church is fluid enough to have things that you do organically, but it's like, no, we do this here and we don't do that. There's like that kind of structure piece to it. Then you have a disciple-making culture. And so a disciple-making culture is that if you ever see a, uh, a Coca-Cola factory and they have like those machines and the Coke bottles are all there and like the the Coke goes into it and then the caps get to it. If the thing wanted to get, the, if one of the Coke bottles wanted to slip out, it couldn't. The structure is designed for the Coke bottles to do this, and at this place you get Coke, at this place you get your cap, at this place you get your label. So you have to look through your church and say, any place that somebody walks in, can the discipleship process start right here? And if it doesn't, you have to fix it. That's not a disciple-making culture. That's like, oh, you need to go to this class. No, no, no. If you start right here, discipleship starts right. Everything, discipleship could be started. Then you take apostolic environments, which was all these gifts. They're all here. This, all this is what caused the early church to have exponential growth. You can gather people in your house all day if you want. You ain't going to have this kind of growth without this. And so this is the formula we, we believe is what causes the exponential um, growth when you have all this in play within a local church, which when I say it's a different operating system. We have some more time for thoughts and questions.
Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I'll just give you a practical one. So, for example, our sermon series, every sermon starts with good news. Jesus is Lord and his kingdom brings clarity to identity and purpose. Good news. Jesus is Lord and, is, and he knows about money. Good news. Whatever I preach or we preach on a Sunday morning, it starts with Jesus is Lord. So whatever you thought about money, his lordship has a whole new way about it. So case in point, if you talk about like tithing or whatever, right? His kingdom says money is the least thing that I can trust you with. And if you're not faithful with that, I can't even trust you with the kingdom riches. So all this talk about tithing is Old Testament or New Testament. For us, it's like in his kingdom, it's the least thing he can trust you with. So if you're not a giver, if you're not a tither, you're untrustworthy in his kingdom. It's biblical. Is he Lord over your money? Another way we do that is on our speaking team. No one gets to just preach without the fivefold gifts speaking into your sermon. So every single sermon at our church, the shepherd, evangelist, teacher, apostle, prophet, they all hear the message. And you have to prepare your message a month in advance. And you have to preach your message to all five of these people, and they all speak into your message before you speak it on Sunday. And what that's doing is, if you're a shepherd, the evangelist is giving you that oomph, and you're learning. If you're, if you're like a, someone who's not very comforting, the shepherd's like, ooh, that's a little, can you use a little humor there? And so practically, before anyone speaks, that message is coming from the full intelligence of the body of Christ. We've been doing it for a year and a half. So no one. So that's like a practical way. No one speaks in terms of like who leads our church. We look for ESs, evangelist shepherds, to be campus leaders. That's a built-in growth system. <laughs> it's naturally in them to go out, and it's naturally in them to shepherd. So I can give you more practical ways. So it's not like a, a a teacher can't lead a campus. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like if you put an ES, they're just naturally built to shepherd and to evangelize, but you surround them with teachers. You know, you had a question? Yeah, just like it's a comment with question. Yeah. How, how to change that culture. Mm-hmm. Right, so yeah. I'll say one, three to set an expectation of three to five years. Three to five years. Number two, make sure that your board and your team, this is something the Lord wants them to have, right? Transparency. This is what God has given me. You lay the plan out and have them say yes or no to it. And if you can't get your leadership together, if you can't get the board together on the plan, it's not time for it in that local assembly. You know, and so that that's one. And then from there, I would start a, a discipleship process. A, we call it DNA, where it takes about 50, like it's 15 months to two years to train somebody up in your thinking, in your way. And so I necessarily wouldn't start with giving away power and authority. I would start with unity within the team. 
And then I would start with training a select few to then give power to. Yeah, somebody else had another? Yeah, so it's easier if you're starting a church. Like, you can put the ingredients yeah. in them and build it as you go. It's much harder to turn the Titanic around. So that's what you say. Yeah. yeah, so if you're... If you're, if you're it, so if you're, if you're at an established church, I, I truly begin, I would say it's like a maybe a one to three to five year journey with your leadership team, humbly submitting, humbly asking them, will they please consider it with you? And it may take you two years to realize they're not into it. But at least you now know how to keep unity and go where the, and ask them, will you bless me and support me as I go do this? But I would never try to shift or change a church that the leadership is not interested. All right. Yeah. Yeah, so for us, we just call everybody by, like, Jim, right? And we know Jim or Sue might score highly, like Evangelist Shepherd. We go with your top two. You know, they score in that. And what we do encourage people every year, they retake it. And we expect if your shepherding gift is really low, because you're now partnering and working with a shepherd, we expect that to go high. So anyone who's been with us maybe two years, it, it, it all starts leveling out because that's Jesus. So the idea is not to walk around and be like, I'm of this. You know, the idea is to be like, I've matured because I'm with this person. And the speaking team is what we call it. We comprise them of people with those fivefold gifts. So somebody might be an apostle prophet in their gift function, right? Um, we're all sons and daughters in Jesus. But that gift function, somebody might be a shepherd teacher. So as long as those five are there, we know that sermon is going to be like rounded. So it's 11. I'll stay for a little bit. I just want to honor everybody's time. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much uh, for this time. Lord, we, we ask you to um, just do whatever you want with this, with this talk, with your church. Uh, give us wisdom um, for your, your plans for our network. In Jesus' name, amen.